we still have amplification. You sound, does it sound good back there? All right. Hey, everybody, good to see you. We're back in our Wednesday night Bible study of Philippians Colossians. We're actually to the second chapter. That is, unless you've got anything in the first part of Philippians, the first chapter that you'd like to go back and talk about, any comments, observations, or questions, anything you want to go back to in Philippians chapter 1. All right, we're not leaving it. We're, we're just moving to chapter 2 with what we got in chapter 1. And chapter 2 is like the quintessential text in the New Testament for seeing what Jesus has done and then learning to be an example of what Jesus has done, the example that he set. So we're in chapter 2. I need two readers. I need somebody for chapter 2, verses 1 up through 11, and then 12 to 18. Who wants 1 through 11? There's Alan's got 1 through 11, and then 12 to 18. Who wants that one? All right. PJ. No, no, in Philippians. Philippians 2. Wait a minute. 2. Get two fingers up. 12 to 18. Well, we had a we had a great study, I thought, in James last night in the men's class. Uh, hope all you guys that came out enjoyed it. We'll look forward to getting back into that next week. But i got to stop and think, okay, Sunday it's Acts, Wednesday it's Philippians. And then next time in the men's class it's going to be James. So, All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Alan. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is Reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. 
But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Thank you. Reading. From time to time, I am approached by a couple that wants to be married. And one of my stipulations is I, I don't marry you unless I get to do premarital counseling. And one of the first things I tell a couple in premarital counseling, that if your marriage is going to have trouble, it's going to be because of, what do you think? Oh, Bob, you're not supposed to get it right the first time. He said selfishness. Is this my experience you speak? Is it that, <laughs> have you been in, have, did we counsel with you? <laughs> Never had any trouble. All right. But that, that's it. And I, I didn't learn that myself. I was taught that, that that's the issue that always tears apart a marriage. It's selfishness. It's not financial problems. There might be selfishness that revolve around financial issues, but it's going to be selfishness one way or the other. And it's not just in marriage. It's in every interpersonal relationship if there's a problem it's almost always going to come down to selfishness in one way or another that's why this text is so huge now when he says if there's any encouragement in christ what's he doing it's like he's setting things up because duh is there any encouragement in christ how do you think that jailer felt when he came up out of that water how do you think lydia felt when she learned the gospel and obeyed with her whole family. How, how did you feel when you read about it? It's like, wow, this is encouraging to see these people being encouraged by the message of Christ and his salvation. And this is fantastic. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, is there any consolation of love? That's, that's what consoles us. And the world can be a hard place. I imagine you've noticed but if you have love, even if it's somebody you disagree with, but you love and respect each other, wow, that's okay. We disagree, but we're not calling each other names. We're not treating each other poorly. We're, we're just in disagreement. What's that we say? We agree to disagree? Hopefully that's always a good thing. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection, and compassion. You could you could replace that word if, couldn't you? What could you replace it with? Since. Since. Or even because. Because we have these things. What's he conclude in verse 2? But make my fill in the blank. Joy. Complete. So... I don't know if you've done this or not. If, if I haven't told you to do it or asked you to do it or guided you to do it. We've mentioned it. But if you look through Philippians, you're going to notice either the word joy or rejoice a number of times. I believe I counted 16. You can count and see how many you come up with. But he, he's talking about some heavy things here with regard to Christ giving himself up. But he's got joy on the front end of it. He's going to have joy on the back end of it. What is... What is our faith to culminate in, finally? 
We're going to be with God. Peace with God. Eternal life with God. Not just off somewhere, but eternal life with God. And so, yeah, there's joy. There's joy on the front end. There's joy on the back end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And joy is incorporated in all of that. Even last night, what were we studying from James? Counted all joy when what? When you fall into various trials. So if, if we can have joy even in our trials, where's joy come from? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. No, that's Galatians, but we know that. And he talks about the Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit. Affection, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What do you make of all those things? How can we be of the same mind? What, PJ? Okay, we agree that our goal is heaven. There's one way to have the same mind. Was that Billy? Was that you? Oh, okay. We, we pray to the same God. We study the same book with hopefully the same intent on the outcome. Are we going to believe everything the same? These walls are the wrong color. What color should the walls be? Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. I see what you mean. Yes, we don't even agree on paint color sometimes. Some things we won't agree on, but but we are going to be of the same. Who is Lord? Any disagreement about that? And when we have needs, who are we going to go to? We're going to go to our God. We're going to go to one another. We're 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 family. And we understand what it's like to be family. We don't always disagree. Sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes we don't even want to be with each other. But we're family. And so, all right, I'm going I'm to do what's best for my family member. I'm going to love them with the love of the Lord. And that's what he's getting into right here. I'm sorry? Amen. Three, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Describe empty conceit. Okay, confident about something that's not true. What's conceit in the first place? Okay, that, that's selfishness. And he doesn't just say selfishness. He's already said selfishness, but now he says empty selfishness, empty conceit. And all selfishness is empty. You think it's full because you're putting yourself first and you're going to get good out of that, but it never quite works that way, does it? Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. What does humility compel us to do? Okay, he's going to talk about that specifically. I'm sorry? Okay, see yourself realistically. You see, okay, this this is who I am and what I am, so I'm I'm going to be humble. Paul? Paul? 
Okay. How insignificant or how powerless you are or whatever. Basically, compare yourself to the Lord. I'll give you a good start on humility. Well, well we might understand to, we, oh, yeah, we, we, sub, we submit to God. That's the word I want to come to, the idea I want to come to. When it comes to one another, we might struggle with that because, well, God, of course you submit to God. But one another, oh, that's my brother. He's, he's not as good as I am or he's not as smart as I am or whatever. Preston? Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, did account himself equal to God. He he was servant until death. He was he, he was humble. He was serving God. Even though he was God in the flesh, he was man with all of his frailties and and, and, and submitted. So that that humility, that's the mind that we or to follow. That's the example. That's the apex of what we're looking at, I think. All right. I think you're right. In this passage. Dina and then Jane. Humility is going to compel us to serve others. It will compel us to serve others. Very good. I agree. And that's that's what Paul's pointing at. Jamie? So it, it's, is it in the, the Beatitudes, those who are weak of spirit, you know, shall become strong, and those who are meek shall inherit the world. And, and those qualities that we see as negative that we're told that these qualities are eventually what's going to give you your strength, those are the qualities of somebody who, who is humble. And I've always equated it to that because, yes, we, we're humble, we have humility, but then it could also be humiliating if those traits are that's interesting too because we, we think of humiliation as something that somebody else does to us but if we humble ourselves, the benefit of that is it means that nobody else can because we've already humbled ourselves. even when we have done all we have been commanded to do we are still we are still unprofitable servants. Who is the greatest in the kingdom, according to Jesus? The one who is servant of all. The one who serves is the one who is the one who puts himself first will be last. One who puts himself last will be first. All Paul is doing is recounting the things that he's learned from the Christ with with different words, but it's the same lessons. And as Preston pointed out, that's where he's going. He's going to the Christ. He says, do these things. And by the way, let me give an example of who did this perfectly. And he's the one we follow all the time. But I, I did want to come back to this idea of, of submitting. Because that's counter, typically, to American culture, to our individualism, to our uh, self-reliance. We don't want to submit because that sounds weak. It sounds like we're not using our our resource to step out and lead the way we should. But what did Jesus do is the question here. Alan? Exactly. And here's, here's the funny thing about pride. We are 
crazy creatures. We're just, we, we try to do what right. We want to do right. But somebody says, hey, Marty, I want to come over and help you do that. And that's why I say, oh, no, no, I, I don't need any help. I, I got this. Why would I say that? We're, we are raised that way. We're denying others, we're denying ourselves to fellowship with others. So we need to consent to the fact that, yeah, I want your help. You know, I'd be glad for your help. That's fellowship. And you're right. A lot of times we say, I got it. You know, I'm out there straining a gut trying to do something. I need some help, but I won't ask because I'm a man, you know. You know, my wife's trying to get me turned right, and I'm trying to go left because she's a navigator, and I need to go left, but I'm not going to do it because I'm a man. <laughs> Amen. All the other guys were afraid to say amen. I'll say amen with Billy. <laughs> he, he's, still, he's still growing. Give him a chance, Harold. <laughs> we talked about that last night, too. Wisdom from above. But, uh, and that women get out of men not listening to them when things go wrong. It's just like what's a cartoon. Yeah. It's only funny in the beginning. After years of it, you just kind of. Oh, we're getting the other side here now. <laughs> I have learned this. Uh, when you buy something that has to be assembled, first thing I look at is the instructions. There's a part of me that I read those stinking instructions. Oh, yes. Not only do I read the instructions, I get out every, just like they say. I cut those little bags open with the washers and the screws and separate the screws and make sure I've got everything. Get all the tools. I get more tools than what they say because it always takes more tools. And But when it says, you'll need help for this step, I say, I need help. I got two hands, two legs, and a vice. And what do you do with the leftover parts? Well, I got a, I got boxes. I got little Tupperware things full of leftover parts and screws. When all else fails, it beats the instructions. When all else fails, they're written in Chinese anyway, so it makes it more complicated that way. It's the American way. But would Jesus, if I were to ask Jesus, would he say, Marty? There's a better lesson in you learning to help someone, or there's a better lesson in you learning to let someone help you. All right. I mean, you know, I'm confident. I'm good at what I do. I don't ask for help. I write the instructions, right? So I'm not going to read them. But how many times have I been in the kitchen upset and Charlie just comes by? Well, it's because you didn't do this and this and this, because he reads the instructions. And so in my position, it's it's more of a lesson to take that pause and to ask for help than to even want to offer help. It sounds like Charles is a precocious man, and I've never thought about a man as precocious, but he's reading instructions. He's not even 50 yet, is he? See? It's, do what? He loves to assemble stuff. Well... The boy's learning. No one will allow us to serve them. We cannot serve. Exactly. Is it more blessed to give or to receive? It's more.
more blessed to give. So what if I refuse to receive? I'm denying you the blessing. If you want to take me out to lunch, I'm not going to say no. I have learned that. This is a scriptural principle I'm working on here. I'm going to humble myself and let you take me out to lunch. And I know, you know, I make a joke about that, but that's the truth. You're out and somebody says, let me pay. And you go, no, no, I'll pay. And why do we say that? Because we're proud. I don't want somebody else paying for me. I have learned it's pretty nice to have somebody pay for you because you're usually going to wind up returning the favor anyway, which is, it's just, it's great. It's all good, Paul. How difficult it must have been for the apostles to allow Jesus to wash their feet. I mean, I don't know how any of us in this room could sit there and have the Lord wash our feet. We can barely let one of our own brothers who isn't, you know, isn't nearly perfect we have a hard time accepting help from, you know what I'm saying, just from one of our brothers who is family. This, you know, this is family. Your blood family may or may not share eternity with you, but your spiritual brothers and sisters will be there. Right. And yet we still have a hard time accepting help or even offering help because, well, what if that sends a signal that they're going to be offended? Like, I think they need help, like overanalyzing it. And, and we forego so much fellowship and so much community and so many relationships that don't get past the surface because we're all we're all islands. We we all just go to the store and buy what we need and Google it or we do anything but ask for help. Exactly. And see, Paul said no man is an island, but who was the guy? His name, singer back in the 60s. Two of them. One frizzy hair. Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel, yeah. Oh, Simon said, I am an island. No, you're not. You, you, yeah, I know. Sorry about the singing, but you're, you're not an island. You need, you need connection with other people. You need help, and it's the pride that keeps us from having that sometimes, and, and Paul is addressing that here. I don't know that the church at Philippi had this problem, or if he's just addressing it because he wants to, to reinforce these things, because he doesn't seem to be castigating or chastising the, the brothers here, but he is talking a lot about being selfish and about, in verse 3, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. What does the word merely mean? Merely means that's not much. Merely is not enough. Merely. Think about it. Do not, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. And then he, he puts it into high gear. Or maybe it's low gear when he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I say high gear in one instance because that, that really, you're going full speed here to, to the Lord. But, but low gear means, oh, let's, let's stop. Let's crawl over these rocks with this powerful low gear. Because we're going to talk about the Lord and see what his reality means to us. Jamie? So, I mean, you know, we are Americans bootstrapped. We can handle our own. But within our congregation. 
situation, we do look out for the interests of others. I mean, it, we may not, we need to work on doing that outside of our four walls. But inside our four walls, I think that with any congregation that I've been a member of, that's always very prevalent, is people willing to help and serve each other to, to meet the needs of our Christian community. You, so, you see it here, it's like you say. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a good thing that we do. <coughs> and when we have an opportunity, I know when Tom, Tom Fry, when he says, hey, we've got a, something's happened, we need some help clearing out a yard, people show up. And it doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees like it has been in the past. People show up and people call, and I can't be there, but I, I want it. What can I do to help? Uh, people bring by water. They bring by stuff because people want to participate in things that help people. And maybe that's that's where we need to pick it up a little bit here at Choctaw is, is finding ways to serve in the community like that that you don't have to have a whole lot of skill to do. Uh, that's that that's something for us to think about. Somebody else have a hand, uh, Billy? My brother in Christ, don't deny me the right to serve you. For dividends paid forward for them serving others that I've seen them through for examples and time and time and time again. And we need that. We need to be able to serve one another. So if you have, if they have a need or whatever, oh, I got this. I you know I can mow the yard, or I can change the tractor tires flat. You know, and, and really they can't because their health or their age or whatever. But yet they would just insist you cannot help me. You know, sometimes we just have to say, "Brother, I love you. Hug your neck, and let's get this done." <laughs> and it feels good to do for somebody else. You. You really get the benefit from it. It's like a blessing that you might not see coming until it's over. You go, wow, I'm, I'm glad I did that. Linda? I need to break that down to even on a smaller level of maybe not necessarily these big physical things, but a lot of our people are shut in. Mm -hmm. And a phone call or just sitting and saying hello and holding somebody's hand when, <coughs> you know, they may be at the very end. But just on those very basic you know, it may not be a big thing. It's, you know, are you struggling? Yeah, I am. I'm having this problem. It's, it's exactly right. You give somebody a call. And for me, sometimes, I, I hear it so many times on the other end of the line. Oh, it's Marty. What did I do wrong? What if I, why are you calling? No, no, no. And, and after a little bit, it's like, oh, they let their guard down because they know I'm not calling to, to what's the word? I'm not chastised. I'm just, I'm just saying, hey, how are you doing? And I have to be, I try to be careful with my words because if I say, well, I, I just hadn't seen you in a while, I don't want to imply you're being unfaithful and I'm calling you. You better get back here right now. I, I don't want to give people that impression. It's just when, when somebody's not around and you notice that you, well, if I call them, I might hurt their feelings. What? Come on. Be selfless. Make the phone call, write a card, send them a text. All right, but be sure you dial the right number. I got cussed out on the phone two days ago. <laughs> I just, I'm getting dyslexic in my old age. I think it was supposed to be a 1-3 and I dialed a 3-1. And, and the guy, he, it was funny. He quoted some line, I think, from Elf. Something about, hey, what's going on? What's your favorite color? And I said, oh, that's a good line. And he said, well, I can't tell you what he said. I, I don't know. There's all kinds of people out there. 
I, I talked to the Lord about that afterwards because uh, you don't want the world to shape the way you think. And it can unless you have this mindset. One of the things I remember seeing in the movie, The Passion, it's not in Scripture, but I, I can see it happening. How many of you saw the movie The Passion? It's been a long time for me, but I did watch it, and I remember specifically this one scene. The guy who's, who's beating Jesus drops the whip, and Jesus, bloodied, picks it up and hands it to him. That's not in Scripture. That's a scene from a made-up movie. But that's what I see in Christ. He came for the specific purpose of suffering and taking the abuse that's supposed to be on me, and he took it on himself, and he didn't flinch from it. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he went, and he went willingly. None of that blood was spilt. It was all shed. None of that pain was... Now, what did he pray in the garden? That's what he finally prayed. First he prayed, let this cup pass from me. And then he said, but Lord, not my will. But that's, that's humility. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who all, although he existed in the form of God, think about that. Somebody says, well... Jesus, he was, he was not exactly the same as God. Well, yes, he was. He existed in the form of God. But he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be clung to. He, he was, he was going to let it go. He did let it go. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even what? Even death on a cross. You ever wondered why... Why a cross? Why not some other method of execution? So many things I, I just can't comprehend. And I know the world stumbles at a lot of, oh, you got, you, your God died on a tree. Yeah, he did. That's the whole point. You see all the suffering and pain around you? God has come down in human form like us, and he took part in that suffering, and he, he was up there for six hours, so even if you weren't there to see it, in your mind's eye, you can see it. He diffused the bomb. He diffused the bomb. When you think about <clears throat> sin being let out into the world, and then everything that's happened since then, death entered into the world. I mean, he made us to live forever, except we sin. And so that's the fuse in the bomb, you know, and it got lit. And he, he, he came up with a perfect plan. He showed us. He didn't just create us, but he came and showed us how to put all that back in the box. You know, I mean... <clears throat> He touched on this back in chapter 1. You may remember. We, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. But this is what 
Paul wrote in what we call verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, worthy of Christ, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. The church at Philippi had opponents. They were being opposed. But he says, don't be alarmed by your opponents. I think this is the the diffusing idea. Don't be alarmed by that because if you're alarmed, that's a sign of destruction. But salvation, and if if you refuse to be alarmed, if you're calm, if you're cool, if you're collected, if your faith is in Christ, even while you're being persecuted, you're being opposed, that's a sign of destruction for them. How can these people be so confident? How could Christ be so confident as, as he was bearing his cross to die? As the nails were being driven into him, and he's not fighting back. He's not struggling. He's not screaming out threats. What did he say when the question came to him? If I called on my father, what would he do? He would send, actually, that's the song, 10,000. Scripture says 12 legions. 12 legions is a whole lot more than 10,000. It just doesn't work very well in the song. It doesn't sound right. But So, so some heretic said 10,000. So... No, I'm just kidding. It's a great song, and it, it makes the point. 10,000, 12 legions. Listen, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So that's what he could have done, but that's not what he did. He submitted to that, and he says to the church, you submit even when you're being opposed, and that's a sign of to them of, of their destruction. So it, it's all coming together here. Now look at verse... We're finishing up verse 8 there, if we could finish it. Even death on a cross. So verse 9, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. See what Jesus did? He, he submitted himself as far down as he possibly could. You couldn't submit any lower than Jesus submitted. He submitted to death, even death on a cross. And so God has highly exalted him. What did Jesus say just before he ascended to the Father as he was leaving the apostles in Matthew chapter 28? All authority. Where? Heaven and earth earth has been given to me. So you go and you make disciples. And I, I feel so pitiful. I can't even get somebody to talk to me about being a disciple. I hope I'm making disciples here. I'm hoping I'm taking part in in your discipling, but it's so so difficult to be like him in this world, and yet that's what Paul is calling the church at Philippi to do, and so me too. Look at Jesus. Look at how he submitted, and look then how God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Remember what he just we just read in chapter one, verse twenty-seven, twenty-eight. You've got opponents, but they'll bow the knee. You and I are bowing the knee now, and will gladly bow the knee when he returns. But all those who oppose God, all those who mock God. They will also bow the knee because God has given him that authority. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think of that. Nobody's going into hell an atheist. Everybody's going into eternity with faith in Jesus Christ. It's too late. 
for a lot of folks, but they will believe in Jesus. What did James say? Even the demons believe and tremble. What's that? Do well, even in what you said. Yeah. Oh, you believe? Oh, yeah, you do well. It's like, it's a, it's a mockery. It's sarcasm. Even the demons believe and tremble. So your faith is, is no better than the faith of demons. That's, i got to hold that back. That's for the study of James next month. So then, beloved, we've had one bell, right? Okay. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence, Lord, but now much more in my absence. What's he say to do? What does that mean? Work out your salvation. All right. I think that's a pretty good description. You will spend your whole faithful life trying to answer and do you think that's the point? No. When, when do you stop working out your salvation? Well, Paul tells us how to do it. He says, you know, run, run the race like you're trying to win the race. When you're, you know, training yourself, not just like a boxer hitting the air. You know what I'm like? Do things matter-of-factly. Don't just haphazardly wander through and, you know, whatever. And that's, never mind, I'm not going to chase that right away. Jane? Well, I mean, to your point, Paul, it's, you know, we are to be bold in our faith and know that we are saved. But so many people take that out of context and say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling to be, I'm going to be Church of Christ, you can be Methodist, you can be Episcopalian, and, you know, Pastafarian or whatever. But, that's that's not the point of what it is. It's you you have accepted your cause and you've accepted the fact that you have sinned and you've asked for forgiveness and you are doing the best that you can that that grace and mercy is going to cover you. Right. So who's he writing to? Well, me. What? Oh, he says he's writing to you. Well, yeah, he is writing to you. <laughs> but he's writing to the church, writing to the church at Philippi, but by implication to the church at Choctaw. He's writing to people who are in Christ. That, that's the address that he offers, or the, uh, what do you call it? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So if you're in the church in Philippi, this letter is for you. These instructions are for you. And by application, if you're in the church now, they're for you as well. What's that? Salutation. That's what it was. That That's who... We know who he's writing to. He's not writing to, like James last night. Who, who was James writing to, any of you guys? To the dispersion, to those dispersed abroad. There isn't a letter addressed to the world. Have you noticed that? The gospel is for the world, but the New Testament is addressed to the church. We are the ones who are supposed to be living this out, being, as he will say here, uh, lights in this dark world. Well, our time is up. Our elders meeting went long. Or we would have another five minutes. So, next week we'll stop our elders meeting early. And we'll come in. Lord, love you. Thank you for your, your participation tonight.